We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to preview free agency. We are recording this a little bit early. We do not have the decisions yet on Mobamba or Malik Beasley. But uh, in today's pod, we're going to get into the you know Lakers free agency coming up, which I think is going to be a lot of talk about the Lakers' own guys. A bit of a housekeeping if you're a new listener Uh, All three of us work for the team, and one of the very few restrictions that we have with that is that we can't be like, hey, we should sign this guy that plays for the other team. We could be like, oh, we should re-sign Austin Reeves. That's totally fine. But we can't be like, hey, let's go sign this player for this other team. And so we will talk about player archetypes. If we talk about a big stretch five or something like that, you can look at the free agent list and uh, figure out who we're talking about. Um, There aren't aren't a whole ton of guys, but that's generally how it works. And then on a league-wide basis, there are two things going on. For one, the league is operating under a new collective bargaining agreement, which will factor in to this free agency. One of the big elements of it is the two aprons for the luxury tax. And the long and short of it is the first one, it's a little less punitive now to be in the luxury tax a little bit, but it's a lot more punitive to be in the luxury tax on that second apron. And so a lot of teams, uh, I think Brian Windhorse has talked about this a bit, are going to be operating as though that second apron is a hard cap and try to stay underneath that number. So with all of that said, D, you are our de facto salary cap expert here. There's, I have some questions around the MLE. There's like two different versions of the MLE that the Lakers can access, set up kind of like the tools that the Lakers have at their disposal. Can I say really quickly about the new CBA? The league will be operating under a new CBA, a CBA that people don't have yet. Apparently, yes, that's right. <laughs> From the listing around like national pods that I've been doing, apparently the CBA has not been fully written yet. There's term sheets that have been sent out that are summaries, but not the full on thing, which is kind of odd this close to free agency. And and just one more thing to add into it, the TV deals come up after next season as well, which oftentimes will impact the deals that guys get the year before. Sometimes players won't want to sign long-term because they'll want to cash in when the revenue bump comes from that. So a lot of moving parts to this year's free agency. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. And so I think the general outline of what the new CBA is, is well known. You mentioned the second apron, Pete, like um, a 
several national people have sort of referred to that as the lead apron. It's the apron a lot of teams are not going to cross. There are some teams that inevitably will cross the second apron, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns are likely going to be a second apron team. And that's just going to be what it is. Teams like the Clippers and the Warriors, interestingly enough, they'll also be um, repeater tax teams. And so it's why their tax payments will be astronomical because they'll not only be living in the second apron world of a more punitive tax, but also there'll be repeater tax teams, which adds multipliers to how much you pay because you've been in the tax, I believe it's four out of the last five years. And so a lot of teams try to duck that. Me trying to sound fancy as our de facto salary cap Yeah, sorry expert. about that. <laughs> so I am our salary cap expert. That does not mean I am a salary cap expert. So so I just want to differentiate here between me it, and someone. It's a hole in our team, D. It's a, you know, <laughs> yes. we, may, we may need to bring on a cap guy, yeah. Yeah, Larry Kuhn may need to come on yeah. soon to talk about things. The point you make about the MLE, Pete, is that the aprons actually do serve as, as hard caps in their own way, right? And so if you use your full MLE, right, and I think the full MLE is going to be around $12.4 million this season, you cannot be over the first apron. I should say this, if you spend anything above the tax level MLE, so if you go into the full MLE at all, then you are going to be hard capped. It's not like you have to spend the full 12 million. If you spend, if you sign someone using 8 million of mm. the full MLE, that's over the tax MLE amount. And so now you are hard capped. And what's the tax MLE amount? So this is being rewritten right. as part of this new CBA. I've seen that number being referenced as a flat 5 million this year, oh, wow. which is less, less yeah. than what it was last season. Last season, the tax MLE is what Lonnie Walker signed for, which was about $6.5 So it's my understanding that the tax MLE is going down in the new CBA. So that's just a little wrinkle of things. So in relation to the full MLE being 12.4, the tax MLE projected, I think, to be around 5 million. If you spend the tax MLE, you cannot be above the second apron, is my understanding. Like you lose access to the second MLE as a second apron team. And so second apron teams suffer a bunch of penalties that we're not going to get into here, A, because I don't know them all, but B, I don't think all of them are going to take effect this summer, mm -hmm. like I think some of these are going to be phased in so that teams can account for them as they roster build as being a second apron. Team. And the Lakers are unlikely to be that second apron type of team. So, yes, yes. I think that the Lakers are going to be like most teams that try to stay under, especially since they're projected to be under now. Right. So I think we should get into it now, Pete, around like what our ideas are around free agency like Mike. Where are you at with free agency? Is this one of your favorite times of the year or is it like down a notch or two? Because, I mean, me and Pete go crazy for this stuff. Yeah, I'd say I'm a couple of pegs below you two on the free agency time of year excitement scale, but not that far. I mean, I do really enjoy it. This is the time of year where I'm more sort of reporting internally uh, for myself in some ways so that I can be ready you know, when things actually come out. Uh, since, as you mentioned, it's not like I'm going to be I'm out there on Twitter just throwing out ideas. I've been doing that for a while, uh, but, you know, keeping that kind of to myself or at least sometimes, you know, with us in the text chain and stuff like that. 
I think that my opinion hasn't really evolved much uh, from where things were in the regular season. And I think that in all of the public comments by Rob Palenka in Darvin Ham, there's been a pretty clear message about what they want to do going into the summer. And, you know, to me, retaining most of what they have, keeping keeping a certain degree of continuity, and then if they can add a key piece uh, and, you know, if they can kind of swoop in and, and grab somebody to add to that mix and still maintain those salary thresholds that you just alluded to, Darius, that to me is the move. And in terms of a, you know, a bigger type move, bigger type decision or a trade or like a, a, a higher leverage type of a move to me, that that would come more closer to the trade deadline next year. Um, after you sort of keep what you have on this roster that worked very well, which I think sometimes it's hard to remember when you get swept out of the Western Conference Finals. But like that, that was a very successful run that that group of, of players had together. So I think that you try to keep the contracts as, you know, as symbiotic as possible. Um, and sort of the team's always going to want to want to keep it a little bit lower. And the players always going to all of this stuff that anybody that deals with negotiations deals with. But yeah, so that I've been, that's why I've been kind of Zen about it, you know, cause I think that there, this isn't that this isn't one of those off seasons where there are hundreds of possibilities, you know, as to what can happen. There are a lot of different ones, but they all fit relatively within the same slots, I guess is how I would describe it. The last three off seasons, Mike, we've been like, we have eight new guys on the team to talk about over the course of the summer. I don't think this is going to be one of those off seasons. And I think it starts with the Lakers restricted free agents, which I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on because with Austin, at the very least, the Lakers are signaling everywhere they can that we are going to match anything and everything. Uh, D, forgive me, I'm going to ask you to put your salary cap hat on again. The Lakers can only offer Austin a four-year, 52-ish, 50-52 type of yeah. uh, contract, but another team can offer him around four and 98, and just through a, a quirk of, of the, the cap. Darius, do they still do the salary cap smoothing on poison pill type of deals? So the type of structure that Austin, the maximum contract he could get from another team Starts at eleven something for the first two years, and you know eleven, and then twelve something the next year, and then it jumps up a whole ton to like twenty seven and you know thirty or so in the last two years. The way they used to do that with the salary cap is they would take the average of the whole contract, and that would be your salary cap hit for each year. Is that still the case? So honestly, that's an answer that I don't necessarily have all of the full details on. But in the big picture, yes, like Austin is privy to the Arenas rule. And you can Google that. I'm not going to explain it here. But basically, the Lakers are limited to what they can sign him based off of like it's like the starting salary for his first year is like the average salary from this past season. So it's going to be like what the MLE was basically. So like 11.4, 11.5 or something like that. And then they can give him raises on top of that based off of having his early bird rights. As a restricted free agent, though, Austin can go out into the marketplace and seek out a like a bigger deal. And other teams can offer him something where the first two years are what the Lakers can offer him. But the last two years are up to his max as a player with two years of service, which is 25 percent of the cap. So it would be like the last two years of his contract would be something like 25 million and close to 30 million dollars a season, which bumps it up to the number that Pete was talking about. But as a restricted free agent, the Lakers can match that. It's my understanding, though, Pete, that on the Lakers cap sheet, he would count as 
the smaller, like his salary would actually be reflected in their cap. And so, whereas on the other team, and this speaks to the question you were asking earlier, for the other team, I think it is averaged out. And so if, gotcha. like, so if he's at $90 million over four years, it would be 90 divided by four. And that's what his cap number is. At least that's my understanding. Maybe that's changed, but that's how it used to work in the past. And so I think that with Austin, in terms of, you know, what people care about is, will he be back or not? It seems pretty certain that he will be. Uh, so I don't want to spend too much time on him because we've got other guys to get to. Rui, I think, is in a similar spot. I do think that there's probably a, a walkaway point at, at some point with his with his salary. But where are you at with, with Rui, Mike, and him coming back as a restricted free agent? Well, it's uh, – if, if I'm – so trying to zoom out first, and you, you never want to overreact to a short or small sample size of play, um, but some sample sizes – AKA three playoff series against good teams are more significant than others. And I think if you wanted to poke holes in Rui, you know, you look at the career three point percentage and you look at the lack of, of certain types of production in Washington. And if you want to point in the other direction, then you, you look at, well, he didn't have the best supporting cast that was going to be able to allow him to play how, um, how he played, for example, against or alongside the Lakers with LeBron and AD taking bigger assignments away uh, and therefore really letting him expose his strength and uh, attack mismatches. Uh, and then the shooting came around as well as the confidence world. So I, I tend to think that Rui is closer to that player in the playoffs than he was the player um, in Washington, who was, by the way, a still a pretty effective score, just wasn't the most efficient. And I think that's because he mostly ran ISOs um, against defenses that were not loaded up against him, but weren't that concerned about what else was on the court. So that would be the the way looking at Rui then is, is uh, all right, well, can you find players that are that are his size um, and that can hang defensively and that can score at three levels? Uh, those players are pretty hard to find and expensive, which mm -hmm. is why throughout the course of the playoffs, we're kind of like, wow, you just gave up second round picks for for this kind kind of talent. Why didn't somebody else mm -hmm. think of this, you know, as opposed to as opposed to kind of critiquing what he was somewhere else? Uh, I think you should critique that. Um, somebody else didn't have that idea. And really, the Lakers front office should get a lot of credit um, for that move alone. So what his number is, uh, I'm not sure. But I is the this is where you get to the the delta between what's the max amount of money that you could live with spending versus what somebody else might offer. And I would just tend to hope from the Lakers standpoint that that's a number that could be figured out um, for what Rui did and for what he purports to be into the future um austin yeah i think you can spend much less time on it's just like he was so good that's it's always been the plan you know i think to to retain him and you know we'll see what other teams decide to to do or not but yeah i, I think that all of that looks pretty good for austin being a laker for a very long time yeah. And one of the things with the restrict, restricted contracts, whether it's Austin or Rui, is the other team or the Lakers have three days to match that. And in that time, they say Austin or, or Rui were to sign a contract with another team, whatever they signed him to would hold up their cap. Like they, they couldn't offer other guys contracts as that's in limbo during those 72 hours. And so. That's part of the reason why teams are disincentivized from signing restricted free agents is like if you follow free agency the way that we do, how many of the guys are signed in the first 24, 48 hours? It's about 90 percent of the market. All this stuff's like wrapped up. You know, no one talks before 
June 30th at whatever time, right, Darius? Uh, but it, it, they sure seem to sign contracts very quickly right after that. And so there's a, a lot of reason for another team to not want to tie up their money with another with a player if that if they know the team's going to match it because by the time that they are able to get off of that a lot of the guys are off of the market. Yeah, restricted free agency is definitely a benefit to the incumbent team, and it's made like that for a reason, right? It's because like in the big picture you want teams to be able to keep good players that they have in-house and the system is set up for that to be that way. Um, I'm super interested to, in seeing what the number is for Rui at the end of the day. Like I thought he really benefited and I think two things are true at the same time. Rui proved what kind of player he is. And I think that he also benefited from the environment, which the Lakers had to offer. And I wonder how other teams view that same formula, right? And how that might impact a potential offer for him. We also talked about Rui a while back on on one of our pods that if the Lakers don't get past the Warriors, the view of Rui yeah. is probably different than what it is mm-hmm. when he then becomes another integral player in the Denver series and ends up starting by the end of it. Right. Because, again, it, just like if it ends after the Memphis series, you're like, holy cow, Rui Hachimura, what's up with this dude? And then against Golden State, his play tailed off a little bit and he proved not as viable a matchup against their really guard heavy and shooting heavy offense. Um, and then against Denver, it's like back in the mix, big forwards. He's the one who fits. And that idea of being a 16 game player is super interesting because you're rarely going to find a role player who is a 16 game player against everyone. Yes. Yes. Right. Like you could be a 16 game player against 80 percent of the playoff teams. And if your matchups break right, like you may never see that that other group right i thought vanderbilt actually suffered from this idea in the opposite way is that as each series advanced there was fewer and fewer players where his defensive skill set was actually super important to the team and then you you know like if the lakers end up playing boston and phoenix and if they match up against New Orleans, like in the play in, you're like, oh, man, Jared Vanderbilt, he's super important. Look, he's guarding Brandon Ingram. Look, he's guarding Devin Booker. Look, he's on Jason Tatum. Well, quick, just quick note on Vanderbilt. I, I just think that there's always somebody that he can guard well. I think that teams were able to just expose him a little bit more on the other end. Um, and, and as that became clear that he really didn't want to take that shot and he wasn't going to make as many um, or find another way, that that to me was more what the difference was. But like defensively, I feel like you can always you can always benefit from ha- from having him on the court. And I'm assuming we agree, Darius, but just wanted to stick that in there. We definitely do. My, my like my only point is, is that there's levels to to it all. And there's areas within that where it's just like, OK, his more natural assignments aren't necessarily to be like, oh, well, now you're going to have to guard Jamal Murray for the entire game. And that's your only viable thing. Because and if you're not on that guy, then there's not a lot of like range for you within the rest of the team. And then when you combine that with the offensive limitations, it shrink it continues to shrink shrink his role. Whereas if they were to play a wing heavy team, it's just like okay, well we've got more opportunity for you to be effective in your defensive role, and so then you might be able to live with more of the offensive limitations. But it's a balancing act with him. 
let's take a break. Uh, I think that covers with Austin and Rui, kind of the guys that are almost certain to come back. Uh, you know, somebody could throw a crazy number at Rui, so I don't want to you know, say that it is certain, but I think that those are the likeliest two guys to come back. Let's take a break, and when we come back, talk about some of the guys that maybe are a little less so. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that whole idea of what would the narrative be had the series ended before at, at this point, I think that you could say the same in the opposite direction for D'Angelo Russell. All right. He's someone that was very helpful to the team through the first two rounds and then fizzled fizzled out against Denver as they targeted him. Uh D'Angelo's a guy that's that's bounced around a little bit, but the Lakers have his bird rights. Um when we get to Bamba and kind of the other guys as well, I think th- that this idea kind of remains true. But I think that the I'm super curious about the number that Dilo has available to him and how many years. But I do think that it's fairly likely that we bring him back. But that is I'm, I have a greater degree of uncertainty there. Pete, let me ask you, would you like to see him back? Yes, I would. It's more of like an asset thing than it is. I think the way that his season ended is going to happen in the playoffs again. And it's not like, it's not a, you know, on his character or anything like that. I think that D'Lo is neither athletic, nor does he like to play fast, right? That's kind of part of his game is he likes to play, play slowly. When you play that way, you have to be able to dictate the terms though. And I think that when he gets a physical athlete, so he's neither like fast, nor strong. And so like Gary Payton, the second, I thought neutralized him a bit in the golden state series when he was matched up with him, Bruce Brown and just Denver kind of throwing athletic bodies at him. I thought really hurt him. And I, I, so I think that at some point in the playoffs, you're going to face a team that has big athletes. that's going to go, Hey, we can take that guy out and turn him from a 17, 18 point a game guy to a guy who's scoring less than 10 per game. And so I would like D'Lo back, but do I think that he can help be like a starting player on a team, on a contender, on a championship contender? I don't think so. I think that the same thing that we saw this past year is going to happen again. I find myself kind of in the same spot talking about D'Angelo Russell as I felt like I was when the Lakers drafted him. Uh, not with you guys, but just relative to what the where the public opinion of him has come, you know, versus my own opinion, and it, it's somewhat aligned with Pete. But I think that I think that he was better 
um, than people realize in most situations uh, since he came <laughs> to the team. Now, the regular season, the whole the whole net rating thing, like if you just look at the Lakers net ratings uh, for the entire mm-hmm. season and his his was 17 games, but he was 12.2 uh, plus 12.2. The next highest was Austin, who was 4.9. Now, that's that's a little bit unkind to Austin because Austin's includes whatever 50 games with Westbrook in that in that roster. Um, and it sort of shows you how good Austin was. AD was right behind Austin. LeBron was right behind AD. Um, so like those guys still found a way to be successful almost in whatever lineup uh, in that that shows they were the three best Lakers throughout the season. Um, and, you know, I think AD, LeBron and Austin in that order. But D'Lo came in and he he unlocked a thing that we had been talking about for a while because of watching the Lakers so much with Russell Westbrook um, next to LeBron mm-hmm. and AD. Oh, a skilled guard who can get his own shot who can make threes space the floor, who doesn't need the basketball um, and who's certainly not a positive on defense, but isn't just, you know, completely going to crush you except in the, in the wrong kind of playoff matchup, right? Like he's not Jordan pool um, out there where he's just going to be bad period. Um, no matter when and just not paying attention and, and not concerned with that side of the court, all that. So all of that combined to make the Lakers really, really effective uh, when he was on the court. And sometimes he would go off and he did a bunch of threes in one game. And that would just kind of carry the Lakers over the top, especially in the home games. And I think that they're the other side of D'Angelo is like he's going to get hurt um, from time to time. And he's going to miss games with minor, um, sometimes minor things, sometimes injuries that uh, that. Well, here, this is where we I shouldn't even comment generally about his injury history because each one is a little bit different. But he did miss games right even in the the end of the season. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think you have to bake in a little bit. Then against Memphis and against Golden State, uh, he actually had a, a lot of good games uh, that I think we sort of forget about now, uh, where we just talked about how Rui Golden State wasn't the best matchup for him. Well, Golden State was mostly a fine matchup uh, for D'Angelo to be on the court. And then mm-hmm. Denver, Denver just wasn't. Uh, and they and, and so that's what happens in the playoffs. And I think you have to be just like when you're the Lakers just, uh, you know, just made a couple of draft picks. Right. And they're going to sign some two way guys. When the scouts are looking at a player, they have to take all all things into consideration when they were there, the tape, the interview, all of these things. And you can't just ignore all of the things that D'Angelo Russell did that worked really well uh, in his time with the Lakers and think about sort of the the stuff that didn't. That's a long way of saying that I think that because of some of those limitations and because of some of the struggles in the postseason and because of some of the the regular season things with missing games, I think that the contract that the Lakers would be able to get him on in theory is going to be, you know, lower than, than what a contract might be for a player that does have his level of skill. Um, and that does have his level of, of in- impact. Therefore, I think that there's, there's some happy medium there. Uh, and I think that that mm-hmm. exists in a, in a better frame, especially because what the Lakers can't do if they don't come to some agreement with him is replace that level of of production, um, at least at least in the free agency market. Um, I don't think. I think that they're salary wise, especially even from a cynical standpoint, they're better off salary wise uh, finding some arrangement there. So that's pretty much a summary of my D'Lo thoughts. But I think that that's I'm I'm being a little bit more generous to him intentionally because the the way that I've heard him described reminds me of of having to be like, wait, 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 guys, he's 19, right? Like when he wasn't the immediate yeah. all-star when he got drafted by the Lakers. Delo's a very good offensive basketball player and he's a sub par defensive player. 
where he's subpar defensively, that floor can get pretty low against specific types types of teams. And the later you play in the playoffs, the likelihood of you seeing one of those types of teams just goes up. And so does that mean it's going to happen every single season? It doesn't, but it's like playing blackjack with a single deck, right? Like the odds, your, your odds start to change. <laughs> like when you you got to win the four series to win an NBA yeah. championship. And it might not happen every series, but I can almost guarantee you one of those teams that you got to beat on the way there is going to be a team like that. No, totally. The other thing I was going to say about just like bringing D'Lo back and everything that, that Mike was saying, D'Lo... The idea of a skilled guard is super important, and the Lakers need that player. Like, Austin is showing that he could be one of those players too, but if you need more than one of those guys, I think, if you're really going to be effective. D'Lo, to me, is like a starter home. He's not your forever home. It's just like with the with the spiral staircase and like, oh, I can see my kids at the top of that thing coming down, <laughs> right? It's just like, no, it's not that. But it's just like, would you rather... Like be a lifelong renter or would you rather like jump up a notch and jump into that starter home territory? And that's where D'Lo is for me. It's just like, okay, well, I'm not going to move backwards here. And I would prefer to bring D'Lo back on a deal that makes sense for, for all sides. We'll see if that can come, though. Just to add another thought, Pete, before we maybe get one or two more from you on D'Lo. So I'm not I'm not saying that I would have you know, closed games with him against Denver. But if I, with what his salary might be, if, if the rest of the roster, if I can have enough guys where I think that these are the types of players that I know can be on the floor in all situations, I think that I can still get there. Uh, and I, therefore I think that what, what Russell does, it's not necessarily a luxury because I think he helps you win a lot of regular season games. I think there are certain playoff opponents that he really can manipulate um, an attack and that can't get back at him as much. Um, so, you know, for me, that's what the Lakers have with the rest of their, their overall situation to me um, is strong enough that it wouldn't make sense to walk away um, from Russell on uh, at this specific time, you know, relative to what that total contract looks like. And that's where, you know, we don't know, we can, we can guess and we can ask around a little bit, but uh, so the numbers do import, do matter like in all contracts, you know, for me at this point, like that, what it ends up being is significant, but I think that there's a way to thread the needle. No. And I think that that's exactly why, like you said earlier, Mike, there's a sweet spot for the, you know, the contract to land in, because if you do have guys in a certain salary range, like you, it doesn't just have to be five of them, right? Like there are going to be games and series where other players are a better fit. All right, guys, I want to switch our attention to Mo Bamba. Mobamba is owed a little more than uh, $10 million this year, but it is not guaranteed. And so the Lakers have a decision to make in the near future. He was kind of in trade rumors around the draft. There were not, I think the only established veteran that moved on draft day was Davis Bertans, who was sort of a contract dump for for Dallas um, and moved over to OKC to drop down a couple of picks. Yeah. Oh, and Rashawn Holmes. Thank you. That's right. Holmes moved as well. But not a whole ton of, of movement, uh, especially in that the archetype that people have been talking about regarding the Lakers. I'm looking at the free agent market at the five spot, guys, and it's slim pickings, especially with Nas Reed re-upping in Minnesota. There's another big stretch five that's been here before that I think is probably out of the Lakers price range. And when you look beyond that, it's like, 
yeah, I think Mo Bamba's a better player than all these guys, right? And so I think we've got an interesting decision coming up on Bamba. I'm a, I'm a fan also of having these kind of contracts around this number in terms of future trades. And I think the D'Lo contract plays into this idea as well, where last season D was an example of you don't have to do everything all at once. Ideally, you have your team to begin the season. But I think that having these kind of middle end contracts give you a lot of flexibility in the trade market if you so choose down the line. And so on Bombo, where are you at on that? Because I think that he's somebody that is probably a better player than the guys that are available in his position in free agency. Yeah, Bombo's on a non-guaranteed deal for $10.3 million next season. And the Lakers have, I believe, until the 28th or 29th in order to decide on whether or not they're going to guarantee that that contract. They have a similar option. They have a team option on Malik Beasley's contract. And so Beasley figures into this conversation as well, but it's good to start with Bamba. I'm super interested to see what the Lakers decide with Bamba. He was someone who played a little bit and then hurt his ankle and then didn't play at all. And so I have no clue if... Bamba would have been useful or not during the playoffs like it would have been nice to have another big body or another option uh, someone who can stretch the floor like the idea of Bamba is why he got drafted where Mm -hmm. he got drafted originally I have questions about him as a player in terms of his motor and in terms of like how hard he's going to get after it on any single night but his physical tools and his game are why he's going to continue to have a job in this league, whether it's with the Lakers next season or whether it's with some other team. Um, I agree with you, Pete, on the idea that centers in free agency are tricky. The Lakers have another quote unquote center who is going to be a free agent on the roster as well. And Wenyan Gabriel, mm-hmm. he's he's another player who is a five basically around the league. Getting guys in here who can play next to or behind Anthony Davis is super important. And Bamba is one of those guys that, in theory, he could play next to AD. Like, I'm not sure if that's what this coaching staff envisions Mm -hmm. as, like, what they want their front court to look like. But it's like Milwaukee played a stretch big with a dynamic rim hunting forward and... Like that's an idea where that Darwin should be very familiar with. So, so I'm not exactly sure. And to be clear, Mike, I don't think that Bamba is like the solution at the backup five spot. But in terms of like getting through the the season, if Anthony Davis goes down, I think he's a guy who can defensively play a similar type of role in that deep type of drop. You know, and and you don't you know you're going to lose something if AD goes out either way. But I think can help hold it down a little bit. Uh, but long term, in terms of wanting to win a playoff series, I don't think he's a guy that's going to help you do that. But I think that his contract and then his ability to do that kind of through a certain point in the regular season, there's some value there relative to the guys that are available in free agency. I can acknowledge that when you're looking at the list of available centers, it's not as impressive as you might think it is for the position that's supposed to be the easiest to go out and acquire, you know, what you think you could need or what you think you might need. But what we saw in practice and whether that was sort of on the court or around the just in practice or, you know, the general lack of availability and, and all that, you know, I, I don't know that you saw enough that, uh, you know, to make it to then think that there could be a fit moving forward where he could, you know, come in and play when Anthony Davis gets hurt and stuff like that. Like, I think that 
the type of player that Baba is, which in theory on offense, space the floor as a, as a big, like not take up space in the paint because he can knock down some threes. Um, the incredible length that he has and, you know, the shot blocking. I, I just don't know that we saw enough of that in practice last year to be able to bank on. Um, so to me, it becomes much more of a of a financial situation in the context of the previous three players that we talked about. And if you're going to retain, you know, those type, those three players and potentially add something else, that's where it starts to get tricky uh, in terms of what the math is going to look like, unless each one of those uh, is just perfectly slotted in, you know, and the, the Lakers do have an excellent, uh, few pe- excellent few people that manage things from a cap perspective. Um, and it, one in one in particular, but like, I, I don't know that Bamba to me is when I'm going through it. I don't know that that's one that I that I can price in and find a way to make it work. Um, that's not to say that it can't. And I, I just I would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh, sure. in in a few different aspects last year to have confidence in that, you know, versus something else. By the way, like Wendy Gabriel, not the same, not the type of player that you like just on paper looking at, okay, well, Bamba versus Gabriel, who would fit better in this context? To me, Wenyan was much better. Oh, and, give me Wenyan over Bamba if I have to choose between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. And there, and of course, these are different things, right? Because Bamba has it's the, the money baked in as to what is the guarantee would be to to maintain him. And Wenyan is a free agent and you might be able to just bring back at a minimum like that type of thing. Uh, but that's that's one of those like the fit in practice uh, versus on paper. I just think that we've seen more. Uh, and I wanted to just underscore that since you brought Gabriel up. And I know we agree. I know that you know we've talked about Wendy Gabriel many times here. Yeah, this is where, Pete, I'm you mentioned D'Lo as a potential asset more like earlier. Bamba to me is that idea, but way more so even than like D'Lo. Mm-hmm. It's like to me, if the decision on Bamba, it's that asset idea like baked in to it as well, right? And so Bamba is the remnants of Taylor Horton Tucker because THT was <laughs> yeah. traded to Utah for Patrick Beverly and then Beverly was traded to Orlando for Bamba. And to me, if the Lakers pick up Bamba's option, I don't want to say hopeful, but I think that the idea is baked into like we actually plan to trade him. That that's a part of the idea. Now, this is where us not having a full idea of like all of the different plans that the Lakers have at their disposal. Like that's where this part of the conversation comes in. And it's true for Bomba and it's true for Beasley as well. And Mike's point about like pricing him in, I think is super critical and speaks to the idea that even if if we think that Austin and Rui in particular are very likely to come back, the number that they come back at will be super important in terms of guys like Bamba, guys like Lonnie Walker, right? In terms of staying under that that total uh, second apron, right? If Austin signs a four ninety eight somewhere, that's very different than what we can offer him in terms of its chain reaction impact on the rest of the roster. Well, also too, it's just like, are the Lakers trying to be a first apron team? Are they trying to stay under the first apron, or are they trying to just stay under the second apron? If they're trying to stay under the first apron then that almost eliminates the idea of, of a player like Bamba or yep. a player in Bamba salary slot being on the roster at all, right? And one of the reasons why you would want to stay under the first apron is because you plan to use your full MLE and or your biannual exception. Your full MLE and the biannual exception, the biannual exception, by the way, is going to be about $4.5 million, I think. If you use either of those, you're hard capped. 
right? And so the Lakers have team building decisions to make within the context of free agency that, that are super important as well. Because while I anticipate them operating as an above the cap team, a team that is basically not going to fall below the cap in order to try to use cap space, and that goes back to potentially paying Russell and keeping Rui's cap hold on like like on their books and all of these these other machinations that go into to team build building Beasley and Bamba represent salary slots on the team that if they decide to use those that mm. means that they're looking at it from the we're not going to use our full MLE we're gonna we're looking at using our tax MLE and our target to stay under is the second apron if we decide to use Beasley and or Bomba's um, salary slots, so you pick up their options or guarantee their contracts, and then you decide to trade them, then your target is the second apron. And then that becomes an idea of, well, then do we actually have the full taxpayer MLE mm -hmm. to play with and what that looks like? And these are things that we just do not know what the Lakers primary plans are. I'm sure they have contingencies for all of these scenarios, but what their primary goal is, I do not know. And I don't think any of us do to speak to that with any like true force. It's one of those things just to, it's a priority list. And once you get the first one done, then you, then you get the second one done and uh, all those things. So yes, it's contingencies, but I think they know, you know, what the ideal plan is. The, the question mark is what do the players that they have slotted in, do they agree? Do their agents agree? Can those numbers be agreed yep. upon? So I think that they have a really good idea. Um, and I think that there's a, a pretty good likelihood that they can get close to what they want. Uh, to me, the the question about players like Bamba and Beasley has, has A, first to do, as Pete mentioned, with like what those numbers actually end up being and where they fit uh, for those other players and like the, the priority players. And then after that, are there two or three guys around the league, you know, that are free agents that that they think they could get in uh, into a certain amount of space? And if so, then that becomes the priority over maybe priorities like D, E and F or something yep. um, like that. And and so that's the, the whole picture. And I think that I think that there it ends up being like pretty obvious as to what it, it's going to end up working out. It's just that. The, the the whole question mark here um, is that that outside player that could come in and, and ballast everything. And then if the salaries end up lining up for, for everybody else, the priorities for the team are Austin and Rui, who are free agents. Right. Or at least this is my view. The priorities are Austin and Rui. We're not going to know what they get paid until after free agency starts. But the first decisions to be made are on Bamba and Beasley. Yes. Who impact bigger picture salary structures for the entire team. And so while Mike is saying, while I think what Mike is saying is totally true and on point that the Lakers have an idea about where they want to go, the decisions on Bamba and Beasley put you down a path, right? And so once you, because if you don't guarantee Bamba's salary, you don't have that salary slot to play with it all in in a trade if you don't pick up beasley's team option you don't have that salary slot to play with mm -hmm. in terms of a potential trade and so the decisions on those are going to put the lakers down a specific path and 
that's something that that the front office is going to have to navigate. And that's why it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do decide on those two players specifically. Very much so. I think Bamba is likelier than Beasley to uh, to come back, although I don't know if either of them is likely at all. Right. And uh, to your yeah. point, I think the Bamba decision in particular is going to be one of those swing points about where we're going into free agency. Let's switch our attention, though, from the the bigs and from Bamba and Beasley to uh to the guard spot. I think the Lakers have an interesting spot here with Dennis and Lonnie in particular. Dennis won us a bunch of games this year. He's got them iron ankles, man. Like I am just so grateful for the effort and the he's a guy that gave it his all this past year and played way above his vet minimum contract. And I suspect that he's going to get that somewhere and whether it's the Lakers or somewhere else. The Lakers also had or the Lakers also asked Dennis to be their primary point of attack defender a lot this season. Like we talk about positions in the NBA is like the one, the two, three, four, et cetera, or point guard, small forward center, things like that. But what I'll tell you is a functional position in the NBA is the guy that guards the main guy that the other team gives the ball to. Yes. That is a position in the NBA, right? And we were talking earlier about how Vando plays that position, but comes with some complications on the other end. I would argue Dennis does the same thing uh, to a lesser extent. There's there's fewer complications on the offensive end, although there are more complications on the defensive end in that he's just not that big, right? So no matter how hard he plays, no matter how well he gets over screens and uh, you know good ball pressure, all that, the fact that he's 6'1 is going to matter at different points that, that are going to impact wins and losses. Um, that said, though, like if Dennis just walks out the door – there's going to be somebody else that needs to play that go guard the other team, the the team that the other team go guard the guy that the other team gives the ball to, and that's not an easy position to fill. Um, and then with Lonnie D, he's a guy that we can bring back at 120 percent of his previous salary, which I think comes out to about 7.2 million. I really like Lonnie, and I would be totally happy with us giving him a two three year deal that starts at that type of number. He's just about to enter his prime. I think that when you've got a guy that's as talented as he is, that has the character that he does, I just really like what he's about. And I think he exhibited that on a few different occasions this year. I would love yeah. to have Lonnie Walker back. And we're in this period where, you know, long-term LeBron's not going to play forever, right? Like we don't totally. know what the next two, three years look like. I'm totally good with Lonnie Walker being on whatever version of the roster there is these next yeah. couple of years. And there's, the whole salary ballast part two that we're talking about with Bamba and with D'Lo, where if an opportunity presents itself in that range of a $7 million type of salary, those are super useful. Yeah, Dennis is an interesting player. So let's start with him because he's going to make more than what he made this past season and maybe substantially more. Dennis isn't going to be, I, I don't think, a full MLE player for a lot of different teams like I think he recouped a fair amount of his value coming off of the season that he split between Boston and, um, and Houston. Yeah. And Houston. And remember, like he had to sort of resurrect his reputation a little bit around the league after he left the Lakers. And so he played for Boston on their tax level MLE. And then he was a free agent for a very long time before the Lakers signed him to a minimum. And then, just like Rui, he was a starter by the end of the Denver series, right? Mm -hmm. And so Dennis's role, he's 
very likely best used as a backup point guard. I'll be interested to see where his value shakes out. Do I think that he could get the tax level MLE around the league? I do. I'm interested to see how the Lakers navigate this because if they have to use an exception to sign Dennis, that's one less tool they have at their disposal in order to sign a real free agent, right? So Dennis is an internal free agent, but he's likely to command more than what the Lakers can pay him using his non-bird rights. There are three levels of bird rights, right? There's non-bird, which is I've been on your team for a season, and now you can pay me up to 120% of what I made last season. Dennis and right? Lonnie fit into this. Dennis that, and Lonnie yeah. fit that category. Then there's early bird, which is you can pay me the like league average salary Right. And Austin Reeves fits into that. Now, he's complicated by the arenas rule as well. And so that's why we were talking about Austin being like an eleven and a half million dollar player. And then there's full bird. When you have full bird, you can pay you can get paid up to the max of what your like your maximum salary is. And D'Angelo Russell fits that category for the Lakers. If the Lakers wanted to pay Russell his full 30 percent max, they totally could. With Dennis, he's likely to make more than his non-bird salary with the Lakers. And so that's a tricky thing. Lonnie, if the tax MLE actually goes down this season, I think that that allows more of a symbiotic contract relationship between Lonnie and the Lakers to potentially come back on that non-bird number, which is going to be around $7.5 million. And so I'm with you, Pete, that... Having a player like Lonnie Walker on your roster, a bench scorer, a guy who can come in and stay ready and, and, and heat up the other team just and get you 10, 12, 15 points in a quarter, not to mention like a playoff game, like that's a valuable thing. But when you start to talk about bringing back Dennis and bringing back Lonnie it adds and up. bringing back D'Angelo Russell Bamba, and bringing yeah. back... And bring it, well, I'm just saying, and bringing back Austin Reeves mm-hmm. and then they just drafted Jalen Hood... Shafino, mm-hmm. they they really like this Max Lewis kid, right? Who they drafted as well. Now, now JHS and Lewis, those are rookies. You can't slot them in, right? Yeah, they're th- but, third stringers until further notice. Go earn sure. it. Yeah, but but Max Christie is he only signed a two year contract. Yep. And this is going to be the second year of that. If they're going to extract value from Christie and see if he's worth paying into a second contract, this is the year where they expect him to make some some strides. Suddenly, that's five guards again, right? And, and neither Lonnie, Austin, Dennis, or D'Lo, the four guards that we're talking about as potentially being options to all be back next season, none of those are a physical, yep. like, I'm big, I'm strong, this is what I do, right? That, and that's so, why, D, I, I think that, like, the way that this free agency is breaking down, because I totally agree with that, like, I don't think we can fill all of the holes that now first off you never fill every hole that you have on a roster but the whole idea of sizing up being more physical i think there's like one guy that we could maybe get for the mle and we will dance around him perhaps uh you know it, it uh in the next topic but that i like not everything has to happen at once and one of the things about free agency it's like yeah you may have this idea oh let's go get a big to play next to anthony davis and then you look at the free agents it's like None of these guys are that good and they're not going to be on the floor in a deep playoff game series anyway. So that's one of the great things about basketball is there's multiple ways to win. Um, But 
there's also in part of in doing that, it's not that everybody has to be acquired and on your team from day one. And if the market doesn't have the type of guys that you need, uh, then a lot of times the best decision is to wait. Yeah. And this is what comes back to those earlier comments that Mike referenced around continuity, the potential of bringing these guys back and giving them a training camp and understanding that they are the foundation of a team that just made a run to the conference finals. Now, being a team that can then get to the finals and win a championship, I don't think anyone should be under the illusion that this is the that bringing back the same exact roster from last season is what's going to get you there. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to take a couple of steps backwards in the hopes yeah. that the new thing that we do is actually going to get you over the hump while subtracting from the team that just did the thing. And, that and got how many you times that's the, the story of the last three years, right? Is this constant turnover. And yeah. so there's value in that continuity, even if it's not the finished product. Yeah. And, and, and so this is why team building is an ongoing process, right? It's, it's, it's something that is always happening. You're always looking to improve your roster. And the Lakers just had a period where they did that with, with the draft. We're about to enter another period where you can do that with free agency and then the trade market. And then that trade market extends all the way into February. Right. And that idea of being able to identify who are the core pieces and who are the pieces. Well, we really like them, but can we turn them into something else potentially like and that's where the salary slot stuff that we were talking about before with Bomba and Beasley also come into play because you can use that stuff now or you can lose it forever. If you lose it forever, what's that opportunity cost if Though we also have a Lonnie Walker on yep. on our roster and potentially a D'Angelo Russell on on our roster, right? Like, and these are this is where it is. All of those contingencies can scramble your brain a little bit. I have like a salary spreadsheet where I have like four different versions of the Lakers roster. Mm-hmm. One of them is this one where it's just like, these are, this is the one with all the cap holds. Yeah. And this is the one where everyone is brought back from last season. And this is the one where it's just like, what does it look like if you sign this guy? And that's that the same thing, same thing Palink is doing, right? If you got four, he got 40 different versions of oh, it, he's right? Got, he's probably got 400. 400 yeah. <laughs> right. right? It's, yeah. it's just like, because, but you need that optionality and you have a big board and you have identified free agents that you like. And so we talked a bit before about the full MLE and the potential to use that and the expense that comes with that is the hard cap. Full speculation here. Let's just say, the Lakers are willing to be hard capped. I think that the hard cap is like, I'd prefer not to be hard capped personally, but, Mm -hmm. but if you are willing to be hard capped, it's because you're adding a player that you think can actually help, help you get over the hump. And you are now building closer to the team that you think can actually win, right? Because your in season flexibility drastically decreases when you're a hard cap, because you cannot then make this lopsided trade where you're sending out $20 million and getting back $26 million because, Oh, we can actually only absorb $22 million back because we're that close to the hard cap. Are there players? You don't have to name them. In your mind, are there players out there that are worth being hard capped for in order to spend up to the full MLE? There's only one. I wanted him for the contract Lonnie got last year. So if you're a longtime listener, you know who I'm talking about. Um, But 
the idea of the Lakers wanting to be hard capped, they've never made that decision before, right? That's something yeah. that they've passed on deals to avoid being hard capped. And so the likelihood of of the Lakers doing that, I think, is fairly low. Um, but that's one of the things about this year's free agency and in in that area and in that range in terms of salary. There are only a couple of guys where it's like, yeah, that guy really fits what we're doing. And that's an important thing, D, is we're in a very different spot free agent-wise than we were last year from the respect of, I think we have specific holes that need to be filled, most of which cannot be filled in free agency. So for example, that idea of D'Lo as, as an asset, right? Like that's for a really high-end playmaking type yeah. of guard. D'Lo's a really good player. And so we're not going to sign somebody for the MLE that's a better player than D'Angelo Russell, right? And so there's not somebody that addresses that high-end playmaker to put alongside LeBron that can get you reliable buckets in the Western Conference Finals, like that guy doesn't exist on the free agent market, that backup five that's a really good five but can also space the floor and fits next to LeBron and AD type of thing. That guy, especially with Nas Reed staying in Minnesota, he was the only guy that I thought, hey, he might go for the MLE, but he did. He just stayed where, for where he was at, basically, right? And so- yeah. If that player isn't on the market, you can't address that that uh, weakness there, right? And so the one spot that I think that we could and that this one guy can do that is that kind of bulldog 2-3 type of guy that I, I think it can really turn things a, a bit. And so – but if it's not him, then to me it's like there's no point in being hard capped. And I think Dennis becomes more of a – he's in that mix of guys that maybe don't get the full thing but get a, get a part of it. Yeah, and this is where like free agency is such an interesting world, man, because while almost everything will come down to like, oh, this guy signed for this and this guy signed signed for that, there's most of the cap space is concentrated in three or four teams. The Rockets have a boatload of cap space. OKC actually just used some of their cap space in absorbing the Davis Pertons mm -hmm. deal, right? Sacramento has made a play to be a cap space team by trading Rashawn Holmes, which we talked about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. But then San Antonio has, has cap space. The Magic have cap space. Detroit has cap space. Those are bad teams, right? And so if you're a free agent and you're deciding to go to one of these bad teams, those teams are also looking to improve, right? Detroit is like, we're tired of being bad. We just decided to pay our coach. They gave the him most. the MLE. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Yeah. Monty Williams making like $12 million a year to, to coach the, the Detroit Pistons. The Houston Rockets no longer want to be bad. Their future picks are owned by other teams. Spurs just drafted Wembenyama. Yeah, no, they just made, well, I'm just saying the Rockets just made one last plunge deep into the laundry to try to get Big Vic. It didn't work. They got one of the Thompson twins. Great. They got Cam Whitmore who fell in the draft. Great. Good for them. But now it's just like, okay, well, we'd like to spend some of this money on players who can help us improve so that we can be a team that competes for the play-in or maybe the bottom part of the playoffs, right? And the Spurs, they're on the clock. Brian Windhorst said this the other day. You get a generational talent. Once you get that guy on your roster, you are on the clock yep. in order to start to be something better than what you were because you had to be bad to get this guy on your team anyway. Right. And so Orlando's making strides. There's a lot of different things out there. And I'm super interested to see which path the Lakers go down. They have a lot of good players either on their roster or they have bird rights to in some way, shape or form, either full bird or non bird or early bird. And 
they're going to be able to bring back a quality roster, which is not something we've really been able to say about this team the last few years. Rob Palinka systematically sort of dismantled a championship team in order to try to build towards a different version of a roster that he hoped would help I think transition LeBron and AD to a different part of their career where they where LeBron could be less of a ball handler and AD could be more of a featured scorer next to another primary ball handler type. That did not work, right? And now he pivoted very expertly, I think, to get a skill guard and to round out the roster and with some draft fines and or undrafted fines with with Austin Reeves. They are now on a path, I think, to be a perennial second round team as like their floor going mm-hmm. from a second round team to a championship team. That's a leap. It's and a big this leap. is where yep. this part of the roster building comes into play. I'm very interested to see what steps the team takes in order to climb those last two rungs of the ladder, which are the hardest rungs to climb. Absolutely. And that that is really like as fun as this the end of last year was going from, you know, the 20th best team in the league to a top 4 or 5 team. The bigger climb is to go from a top 4 or 5 team to a team that wins it all. And it even though the uh the rankings are smaller, it's it's a bigger mountain to climb. And so that said though, you can you have to make the right decisions at the right time. I remember last year during media day, Polinka was talking, you know, and Russ was on the team and he was talking about trading picks and he was like, "We're totally down to do it." I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you only get one shot at it. And especially under this new CBA, you have to get your salaries right, I think, to really build out you know, a championship roster. And it's very punitive if you don't. And it's harder to overcome your mistakes. And like, oh, we've got a little bit of dead money on the cap, but that's fine. That's fine. No, it's actually not, at least uh, not as much as it was before. And so how the Lakers manage that is going to be super important. And I think that Part of doing that is knowing when to wait, and they illustrate they exhibited that last season during free agency, and uh, you know trying to trade Russ and waiting until the deadline, and so a lot of times, kind of waiting is is the right decision to make. That said, I'd like to see us be opportunistic, and if there are chances out there, there's I think there's going to be a decent amount of trade activity, D, and that's something that the Lakers yeah. have an opportunity perhaps to get in on, um, but. We are a much more settled roster than we were at this time last season and are trying to fill those last holes that could get us from that top four or five team into being a title contender. So, all right, um, we will be back next week because of the rules and kind of are being employed by the team. We cannot talk about even after they agree guys that sign uh, free agent deals until after the 6th of July. Except for vet minimum guys. We may do a mini pod, Mike and I, on just the vet men guys during that time that we can talk about. And then on the 6th, we'll be there to talk about the full free agency, summer league, all that. Going to have a gonna uh, hit the ground back running once uh, free agency is over. So this is a nice long preview. Hopefully it gets you through. Until then, we'll, we will be back once the vet men guys start to sign. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot. The top. 
is an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.